passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We probably will get to a another football episode later on this week with, with spring practice. We'll have some spring stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Uh, in, you know, kind of once we have a little bit better sense of how things are going one week into spring practices. This is going to be a basketball episode as it should be Michigan continuing to win. Uh, since we last had an episode, they have won twice. They beat Iowa at home by in pretty dominant fashion. And then they went on the road, beat Indiana by 16. So that we'll, we'll talk about a few things. We're going to talk about seating uh, the big 10 championship situation. And then also how the team has looked winning two quadrant one games in a span of three days, really, uh, I guess basically simulating an NCAA tournament weekend, really, uh, you know, I was viewed as a potential like three seed, I think four seed, maybe Indiana, probably in a tricky spot. Now, uh, they've lost four straight, but you know, maybe simulating a, a 10, 11, 12 seed type team. But Steve, from these two games, what is maybe your biggest one or two takeaways from what you saw? What has impressed you the most? What has stood out to you the most? Uh, I mean, there's, you know, with, with the way they've won, it's kind of hard to, you know, because obviously there's a lot of things as they continue to kind of, you're talking about people are talking about this Big Ten being the best conference in what they say, like, two ones, two projected one seeds and like two or a projected, it's like the first time since like the seventies or something that a conference uh, has the projections right now that, that the big 10 has for the tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember. It wasn't, it was the game against Iowa. They were talking about, I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe listener would know uh, could comment or let us know, but either way. um, So both trace Jackson, Davis, Luca Garza, non-factors really. And, and, just the the emergence of Hunter Dickinson just continues. Uh, you know, that was kind of the big question was, well, how is he going to do against Garza? You know, and Trace Jack, again, Jackson Davis having statistically an amazing season. Uh, was he top 10 in the Ken Palm player of the year rankings, right? Also? Yeah, I yeah. think he still is. Right? So, you know, you're talking legitimately two of the top, top 10 players in the country, and Dickinson had won – both of those battles again, right? Now, Coburn will be an interesting test, a totally different kind of test. But, you know, at this point, I think we're at the, we're, I think we're at the point now 
where, you know, I don't think there's any expectation that Dickinson isn't at least going to be able to hold his own in those matchups. Right. I mean, it's what more does he have to do? And what I like about him is he's so good at like just being just enough in the right spot to throw off the timing of whoever he's defending, you know, cause Jackson Davis had some looks, but they weren't like comfortable looks. And I think, you know, and he missed a lot of shots he maybe would have made against a lesser defender down low. And so, you know, all the talk about Dickinson, uh, you know, scoring wise, rebounding wise, but just his, pure defensive ability laterally and just also being able to hold his ground. That was the one thing I wrote where he really gave Garza a lot of problems is like Garza wasn't able to push him around. Like he's able to push around a lot of other guys in the league or, or whoever. Right. So, you know, I think just his, just his well-roundedness defensively, it continues to, to me to be as impressive uh, as his offensive ability. And so, you know, that was one thing. The other thing too, this is what we talked about before we got on is, their turnover numbers continue to kind of go down uh, since the layoff, which is such a, an odd given that was the one thing, right. That we had talked about before was that turnovers could be the Achilles heel for this team because they did. There have been a handful of games earlier in the season, little careless of the ball to given too many opportunities away to uh, the other team, but they've really almost kind of, cut that out. You know, it's not, it's still a little bit of an issue. I mean, not perfect play necessarily, but it is far less of a problem than it was earlier in the season, which the, the, the only, the, the change seemed to occur after they got back from the layoff, which is like I said, so bizarre, um, you know, that that's the case, but you know, I, yeah, it's just hard to, you know, yesterday, another game where they just kind of won it in a way that they haven't won a game yet. They got to the line at will yesterday. Um, and they did it. They, I mean, they did take 24 free throws against Ohio state. I think a lot of those were late, but two teams road environment, Michigan seemed to outplay, you know, to get to the line, force a lot of fouls, went off the dribble, right? I mean, Wagner got fouled. Probably he probably forced what five, six fouls yesterday. Yeah. I mean, he, probably- he drew, I mean, he got to the line, eight times. Right. And I think he, I think he drew five or six or seven fouls. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know why they don't keep that stat. I mean, to me that I think that's such a good indicator of a good offensive player or defensive, right. Depending on how many uh, offensive fouls you can draw, but on the defensive end, like a guy who can force a lot of fouls, that means that's a guy who's having success. He might not be making his baskets or might not even be getting a shot up, but if you're forcing fouls on the defense consistently, you're at least beating your guy off the dribble or finding a hole in the defense and exploiting it, you know? And so it, there, there was a time in yesterday's game where it just felt like Wagner just had just took taken over. Uh, he was in complete control on the offensive end. And so uh, that, so that's kind of another small thing for me is that they've been, they're still winning in different ways, but they've also, yeah, they're drawing a lot of fouls and they're um, really cut down on the turnovers, which are two really, really big things to have going your way heading into March. So they do keep the stat, but it's it's not commonly kept. Uh, Franz Wagner drew five fouls yesterday, according to the official uh, box score that that Michigan gives to media members. But yeah, it's um, continuing to find different ways to win. You know that was that was something that definitely stood out. As far as the turnovers, uh, there is a little bit of a story there. So. I think it was last week I asked Mike Smith about it because since since they played Purdue, 
So basically since the layoff at that time, uh, they were averaging a turnover rate of 18.4%, which, I mean, you can do some quick math there. That's basically one in every five possessions between one and every, one in every five or one in every six possessions, they're turning the ball over since then in the five games since that has dropped to 12.9% of possessions end in turnover. So that's a, that's a huge, it might sound small, but in terms of a per possession um, rate, that's a huge difference. You know, multiply it by 70 and, and suddenly it's like a, it's like four or five turnovers per game. And so I guess the first practice they came back, so it must have been Monday the 9th, Monday the 8th of February. They they chart stats during their five-on-five five, um, time, and I believe it's 20 minutes, two 10-minute scrimmages, and they committed 30 turnovers. The, just, the, um, just the main team, not the scout team, they committed 30 turnovers in 20 minutes, and that was – that was a bit, that was a bigger wake up call than actually the turnovers in the games, according to the players. And and that was when they started to be like, Hey, this, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was always something that they were aware of. I don't think that they were like blind to it, but that's when they were like, we need to really, really focus on not turning the ball over. Um, and as you said, Steve, there's still, there's still a couple moments here and there. Uh, yeah, I think the first half against Indiana, there were actually a couple, couple plays. I would say they were, they were coming in a little too hot. You know, I think sometimes they try to go, Michigan tries to go quick. It's not the wrong move, but it's not always the right move. Uh, it's not really their game. It's to keep, it's to put the defense on its heels. Uh, but I think that can lead to errant passes or, or just some, some, you know, dribble drives that just slip away, things like that. Um, that's a big one. That's, I, I think that point is, is really not being discussed enough because a lot of, I mean, you know, the big man defense, uh, no doubt. I mean, you know, the, I think Isaiah Livers said after the game, they put trace Jackson Davis, they basically took a, they wanted to take away all of his left handed opportunities. I guess he's a lefty. Uh, and so they constantly were trying to put him in a position where he needed to shoot with his right hand. And he's good enough that he can do that, but obviously the, that's not his, it's not his top situation. And then, and then Garza, um, I don't know if I agree with you, Steve, where that he was a non-factor. I mean, it seemed like every possession he had the potential to do something. And clearly he was um, physically kind of wearing down Michigan. I mean, I think there was what, 16 and a half minutes left in the game and Dickinson had three fouls. Austin Davis had three fouls. And it was kind of like, okay, we'll see how this goes. But I think, I think the fact that they were able to force Garza into enough misses and he was clearly frustrated. Um, you know, that was clearly some, some of it was because he was missing shots. He doesn't usually miss, uh, but some of it was that shots weren't as open as they usually are. I think that's a great point that, you know, Dickinson and, and I'd say Coburn also did pretty well against Garza. Um, you know, but the two other, I'd say dominant big, big guy, big men in the big 10, um, you know, what they, they were able to stand him down, you know, Dickinson didn't, didn't give any, didn't give an inch. And, and on the other end, he was, he was making Garza work for the defensive possessions too. So yeah, those are great takeaways. The, the one I would add is I think, um, 
I don't, I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't repeat what we say pretty much every time, but the, the maturity on this team, I think really showed in this, in this two day turnaround, not that, I mean, there were several big 10 teams that did it. It's not like they invented the two games in three days schedule, but, but I think to play Thursday in a pretty physical game, pretty, um, I want to say euphoric finish, you know, big top 10 win that, that made Indiana a very interesting matchup because Indiana's just good enough to beat you. They don't stink. Uh, they're playing at home. They got an extra day of rest and, but they also don't, they're not like a matchup. Michigan's like circled on the calendar either. And so it, it reminded me before the game, a little bit of the, when they, when they beat Wisconsin at home on national TV, and then they were playing Minnesota at like noon on a, on was on a, on a Saturday, I think it's the same, same situation almost. Um, but the energy Michigan had from the start, the energy they had throughout the game. I think this team of all the Michigan teams I've covered does a supremely good job of like supporting each other for every single play. I think that that really, it stands out. Maybe it doesn't lead to like, maybe that's not why they're 18 and one, but I think it's a big part of it is that this team seems to really support and, and genuinely uh, want every player to be successful. I mean, yeah, I think Isaiah Livers told us to go back and what, when we watch film and watch Shondi Brown, who was one for seven from the field for the game, clearly not a good game for him. Uh, but, but his exuberance for every single made basket and, you know, all of his teammates doing well. I mean, he was, he was, you know, jumping off the, off the sidelines when he was on the bench and, and just bouncing all over the court when he was in the game. And so I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the sign of a team that nobody wants to play. I mean, Michigan's good enough that they were already in that category, but you know, I think, I think beelines teams would have moments of clarity like that where, where things just really click the maturity's there, the, the understanding a game plan quickly on the fly, the energy, um, you know, not just for your own game, but for your, for your teammates games. That's, that's what I think is really, really important come tournament time. You know, cause we, we, we've seen a ton. We'll talk about it in a moment, but a ton of one seeds, two seeds, top, you know, five teams all season. And then they just kind of sputter in the NCAA tournament. I think one way to make sure that you don't do that is to play like you're the underdog. And I think with the energy Michigan played against Indiana, um, obviously there's a long time before the, you know, they still have three games before the big 10 tournament, uh, presumably at least four games before the NCAA tournament, potentially more. And so it's a um, long way to go, but it, it still just seems like they have that it factor in terms of always making the right play, always making the gritty play. I mean, how often do you describe a, um, you know, a number number two team in the country with three potential NBA draft picks as the gritty team in a game. And it seems like Michigan does it every single game. So yeah, I think they've got, I think they've got that quality. And I think that showed in the quick turnaround, uh, you know, Jawan Howard said after the game, asked him about what impressed him about the turnaround. He said, I think these guys handle things better than some of my NBA teammates did in terms of how to recover, how to, you know, eat right, how to, you know, stay off your legs in, on days in between games. 
And, and Michigan's coaches challenge the players with this kind of condensed schedule. It's nothing undoable. I mean, it's what's for four games in seven days, I think is what it was. Um, plus then you play Michigan state again, but they challenged them. They said, this is going to be an NBA schedule. So you got to treat yourself like an NBA player. So just little stuff like that, I think is really standing out because we've talked about it. I mean, they have two wings. Nobody else in the big 10 really has two wings that can match up against Isaiah livers and Franz Wagner. They, they have a point guard who's, who's clicking. Uh, they have one of the top three centers in the big 10. That's a really complete team. And that's not counting, you know, Eli Brooks, Shondi Brown, but next question I have for you, Steve, I just mentioned all the candidates. Who is Michigan's best player? It really seems to vary all the time. And, and they've had, I mean, Hunter Dickinson has led the team in scoring six times. Isaiah livers has led the team in scoring five times. Franz Wagner has led the team in scoring four times. Uh, Shawnee Brown three and Mike Smith one as well. But yeah, I mean, who is, who is Michigan's best player right now? Uh, I just, I think Wagner's impact on both ends of the floor, I think would give him the nod. Um, I tried not to make it a who's playing the best right now. Cause I think he that is would definitely be, playing the best right, right now. Right. Yeah. So that'd be the, but I, you know, I just think about, his impact defensively, he's like, you know, you talk about his ability on the offense, like his length, he's mastered that runner in the lane. Like he seems to have that completely figured out. He's playing better from the outside as well, but defensively just, he gets his hands on so many passes. And, and I really think, you know, cause I, I what was interesting to me was, you know, the Iowa game, everybody was talking about, uh, Dickinson and Garza matching up. I was interested in the Wagner Wieskamp matchup, and you know Wieskamp. I think I think he shot nearly fifty percent, but man, I mean, I want to say like two or three of the shots he hit were like high difficulty shots. Like he had no easy looks at all, and that's just another. Like I think from just an all around standpoint, uh, I think Wagner is just. I, think, I do. I think he's their best player. I, it's tough, though. Um, I don't think Livers will get enough because I think Dickinson is the other one that I think of initially just because you talk about, you know, he's led them in scoring more times than anybody else and also what I talked about earlier with his defensive ability against some really tough matchups. I think he controls the game as much as Wagner does in a lot of instances. But I just look at, as I say, but first-round Franz is what I've been calling him the last few games. Uh, it's just – you know, that's how I, you know, I just think he just from an all around standpoint in every way, shape or form, you know, gets to the line, hits his free throws, you know, long enough to create issues defensively, but just defensively just always seems a step ahead. I guess that's the biggest thing to me that always stands out about him. Uh, just, you know, that, that's, yeah, you can't say like is his emergence. This is like, you know, going into the season he struggled a little bit to begin. People were on, down on him and stuff and, you know, because you hear Juwan Howard say a lot of the same things I feel like John Beeline said about him uh, as far as, like, this is one of the – he's one of the best players that I've recruited at this level. You know what I mean? Like, I, you remember all the hype and stuff he was getting early, not just this year, but last year as well, um, and just having that – Yeah, Juwan Howard last year as a, as a freshman 
Um, I think, I think I asked him like, what is, what are his expectations for Franz? And he didn't shy away from me. He said, I think Franz can be one of the best players to ever play at Michigan. And this was like three games into his career. And I don't think he'd like had even a double digit scoring effort yet. It was, it was surreal level of pressure that, that he had already with, he was already facing. Right. But to be fair, even then, then, and this is what's always interesting about some of these guys, this is like something we would see under beeline is you could see it though. Right. There were flashes of like, okay, this guy does have the tools to kind of maybe live up to these really, really high expectations. It's just a matter of putting it together. And I think now we're starting, we're obviously really, really starting to see it just from it again, from in every aspect of the game, he is getting to an elite level, if not already there. So I would go with Wagner, um, you know, the other two, it is, it's, it's a great, it's difficult and it's one of those good problems as you would say. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but I would go with Wagner for now. I would go, I'm going to go with Dickinson. I, I, this is, I mean, we're supposed to probably supposed to disagree on this. If we both said Wagner, you know, kind of defeats the purpose of the question. I would go with Dickinson. Um, he actually does lead the three in plus minus. And he's up there best in the country. In the Big Ten, he's third behind Io Desunmu. And then Eli Brooks, who who I think is very valuable. Um, but he also did miss the Minnesota game. So his plus minus is going to be slightly uh, inflated just because he happened to be injured for... Now, you know, he was a part of why they lost. But, but he happened to be injured for the one game where Michigan loses by 18. Uh, but no, Dickinson... And I don't know if I actually would have said Dickinson when he was scoring, you know, 20 points against all those different big 10 teams in January. I think, I think I've seen his growth on the defensive end uh, big time. And I'm, you know, not just Garza, not just Jackson Davis. It just seems like he, um, he understands defensive positioning. Cause that's the key, you know, beating someone like Luca Garza, you have to meet him and body him up nine, 10 feet away from the basket or else he's just going to score because that's, that's, I mean, he, that's what he does. He's going to make money doing that. And, you know, Jackson Davis, um, not as much of not, not, not exactly the same as Garza, but definitely someone who, if you can meet him five feet further away from the rim and meet him in a real way, not, not in a way that you're going to get, you know, bullied or, or beaten or whatever. Um, you know, that's a big thing. I think his shot blocking, I want to say he's third in the Big Ten in blocks per game. I don't have the official stats right in front of me. Uh, yeah, I think I think his defense has gotten really, really good. Uh, and and it's one of those things, the reason Iowa beats a lot of teams, even teams with good big men, is that they need to send someone for help. They need to send help defenders. If you watch these last two games, Michigan will occasionally send help defenders, but not really. And that is so rare. I, I don't even, I don't know if that's ever been the case at Michigan where they've been defending the best big men, not just in the big 10, but in the country without any help. And so, I mean, you might have to go back to literally, you know, Juwan Howard's playing days for the last time they've had a, had a big man who can defend anybody in the country because he can 
there is not a better big man in the country than Luca Garza. And so, and, and we've seen him do it against Jackson Davis. I do think Trevion Williams probably won that matchup when they played in January, but it wasn't, it was the same shooting split six for 19. Uh, I just think he defended Dickinson a little bit better than Garza did, but yeah, I mean, he can, I mean, Kofi Coburn's a guy that they need to send help defenders and where Illinois beats teams is people send their help defenders. They kick it out to a guy who can shoot 36% from three. And when Michigan doesn't have to do that as much, I mean, that allows them to defend everywhere else uh, in, in an elite way. So I'm going to go with Dickinson, obviously his offensive game. uh, The numbers kind of speak for themselves. He um, has a way of keeping it really simple, but he's his, strength his uh starting to get a little craftier and then also just his abilities uh can can be can just score really quiet 13 points against indiana no one no one even like mentioned him after the game but it was like oh yeah he put up 13 and 9 um really really impressive isaiah livers there's a pretty good case to be made especially how efficiently he's shooting where i think he's a player that could probably average like if, if he was playing for Indiana, I think he would average 21 points a game. If he was playing for Iowa, I think he'd be, he'd be up there. If you, if, if, if there wasn't a Franz, if there wasn't a Hunter Dickinson, if there wasn't a Shondi Brown, you know, I think livers could be one of those score 20 plus points a game, be first team, all big 10, partly just because he's scoring 20 plus points per game. So, uh, and his, his defense has improved a lot too. I think he's, he's another guy that, Maybe in the past they would have wanted a help defender, you know, to to or to send help while he defended somebody that was like maybe a top dog. Now he can go up against just about anybody one on one. But yeah, uh, definitely, Michigan's in a good spot when they can. They can basically choose between three guys who probably are among the top. I want to say top seven or eight players in the entire Big Ten. You know, the advanced stats really like them, but even the even the raw stats, um, I mean, these guys are all three are producing and they almost seem to take turns in it, within games being the top dog. You know, Franz Wagner scores uh, what he have 14 points in the first half. And then Isaiah Livers comes out and scores nine straight points in the second half, uh, you know, and then. You know, sometimes it'll be Hunter Dickinson's turn. So, yeah, it's really really impressive. The fact that none of them have led the team in scoring more than six times also speaks to how balanced Michigan's offense is. Next question. So we mentioned those three, they're all averaging 13, 14 points per game between Mike Smith, Shondi Brown, Eli Brooks. That's kind of the, the next group. And you, and you know what? You can throw Austin Davis in there too. He's not scoring as much as those three are. Uh, but but maybe there is some value in a in a center who can come in off the bench and and be a plus player. You know, Davis's contributions against Garza in the second half on Thursday when Dickinson was in foul trouble. I mean, that was huge. That that changed the game. So let's make it among those four. Who who is the most unsung hero in your eyes? There's Mike Smith who had 14. Points yesterday kind of started to show a little bit of a scoring touch. Leads the Big Ten in assists. There's Eli Brooks leads the Big Ten in plus minus. I think he leads the Big Ten in defensive rating. 
um, you know, the professor, high IQ guy, defensive guy, but also contributing 8.7 points per game. You know, not a not a slouch, uh, good shooter. It's gotten to the rim a few times. Had a couple big baskets in the first half against Indiana yesterday. And then there's Shondi Brown. You know, I, I did a story last week, potential six man of the year in the Big Ten. I don't know if he's leading all bench players in points per game, but I think in terms of some clutch shots some clutch contributions, and then it won't matter in the Big Ten six man of the year race, but, um, you know, his energy off the bench, his energy on the court, kind of I, he's all three guys are really glue guys. And then there's Austin Davis. So, Steve, of those four, who is the unsung hero of this team? This is tougher than the the best player, honestly. Um, initially, because I've talked so much about Brown that I want to say Brown, but the Mike Smith, I think, plays the biggest role. True of any of those guys, and I think, you know, and I think it was a few mentions of like how. You know, he was such a shoot first type guy at Columbia. I think it was mentioned yesterday in the telecast, something we know. I mean, he was the leading scorer in the Ivy League last year. Uh, yep. To kind of come to Michigan and not completely transform the way he plays, but sort of like what we talked about with where Livers is a guy that if he played on a different team in the league could average 20 plus, right? But again, it all goes back to guys embracing what, you know, the role that the, this coaching staff has kind of put out for them and Smith, you know, to be a guy that, yeah, to go from a shoot first type dude, who's, who's, you know, putting up 20 points a game to leading the big 10 in assists is, you know, really impressive. We talk about how important Xavier Simpson always was for Michigan, his ability to create and Michigan has other guys that can create, right? I mean, we, that's one of their best assets is they have a lot of guys like livers, Wagner Dickinson, obviously out of the post, can create in the passing game. Uh, but Smith still kind of the straw that stirs the drink overall in that regard. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with Smith. I just think, you know, the one thing he does, like he's not quite as, I don't know the, like, and it's, it's pretty obvious the fact he can score and Sim that was one thing with Simpson is that you, there were times where, defenses didn't necessarily have to account for him as heavily, especially from the perimeter Uh, with Smith being a little bit more of a threat, you know, that the pick and roll stuff with Dickinson uh, he's done a really good job. Smith has of, you know, knowing that it's better for the team if he takes a few shots off of those sets, because he's good enough to hit them. And if he can hit a couple of them, then good luck, you know, and that's where he's a lot like Wagner to me is a guy that, you know, I think we talked a little bit before we got on uh, Wagner's ability to get in the lane can open up so much for Michigan offensively. I think it's the same thing with Smith uh, as far as opening things up for Dickinson and opening things up for himself. Cause he can score. That was his biggest asset coming in. The question was, could he do it in the big 10? I think it's clear now. Yes, uh, he can, <laughs> but I think, it, you know, it's just, so he's kind of created a little bit of a multifaceted role. And the other thing too, a lot of talk when he first came in about him being a huge liability on the defensive end. You talk about a guy who's gotten better on that end as the season has progressed. Uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I know he's not a lockdown defender. You know, he's definitely not their top defender, 
but he's a guy who's come a long ways in that regard. Cause I think even at the beginning of the year, I think he struggled a little bit, but is it clear? It's a guy who's, you know, from jumping from the Ivy to the big 10, I'm sure it was a deal where he kind of had to, you know, get to a point where he could slow the game back down again. Cause I'm sure it was a little bit different, a little bit sped up playing against a lot more skill on a night to night basis. Uh, but it really seems like he's come a long ways uh, in an all around idea. You know, he's, he's still, you know, we mentioned still makes a, a few passes a game. I think that, you know, he, I saw him a couple, he got frustrated on a couple plays yesterday. I think right away, like, yeah, yeah that was, that was yeah. stupid. You know, I shouldn't have done that, but like those plays are becoming more few and far between now. And so, you know, again, another guy that really just gives them another dimension. Um, you know, his shooting ability, his ability, he, he's done a better job of getting in the lane. He's got a good mid range too, I think, you know, in some of those sets. So uh, I'm going to go with Smith. So I'm approaching this question in terms of who, which of the, th- which of the four players would Michigan be the most doomed without? And I, I actually think, I mean, Smith is a, a fantastic candidate for that, but I'm actually going to go with Brooks. Uh, I think it's hard. I wish there was a cool stat to you know, signify Eli Brooks defense, but it, it's, it's elite. I mean, he can defend anybody in the big 10 at, at the guard position. Not, I don't think the big 10 has a ton of amazing guards this season. It's not, it's more of a big man year for the league, but you know, he can shut anybody down and he has shut pretty much everybody down. Uh, you know, and he, he on offense, I don't think he is like, I, I would say he's more of the straw that stirs the drink than the actual drink. Uh, you know, I think, I think he, he chooses to kind of just help with the rotations, help with setting up other guys. Um, he will shoot and score when, when it's there and he's another efficient shooter. Uh, that really, you know, if, if they needed him to score 12 a, a night, they pr- he probably would. So, um, you know, I really, I, I just think when he's on the court, Michigan's just a better basketball team. And, and I think quietly, I think he's actually done really quite well when Smith needs a break and he's out there running point. You know, I think, I think at the beginning of the year, there was a couple um, slip ups, but he looks very, very comfortable. You know, I'd encourage listeners to watch next time Smith comes out, see, see what Brooks does. Now, I think, you know, if I know fans for, for some reason, they're just, you know, every time Brooks misses a shot, you know, we have a, a thread in our message board, like Brooks needs to stop this shot. And it's like, okay. Uh, but yeah, I think the quality that he brings is, I mean, he's, he's the ultimate glue guy. He is, you know, I think, think, I can't remember which national writer, but they do like a, an all glue guy team. He's Michigan's. I think, I think Michigan. Now I'm not just saying this because they did lose the one game that he couldn't play. Uh, but I think Michigan really, really benefits from Eli Brooks, even when it doesn't show up in the box score. Um, you know, he's, he's an all time, you know, beeline basketball kind of guy too. So, but Similar to the MVP debate, I don't think you could go wrong among the three. And, and I guess Austin Davis could, you could probably make a pretty good case for Austin Davis as well. But yeah, so they have three potential MVPs, four potential unsung heroes. That's that's how you end up being a top five team in the country by late February. We're going to hit a quick break. Speaking of late February, uh, on the other side, we'll talk 
NCAA tournament seedings and settle this debate. Which of the three non-national title banners is the most significant for Michigan? You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. And we're back. Thanks for waiting. So I teased it just a moment ago, Steve. Michigan hangs banners for the following national championship, of course, and that is the most significant one. Um, but then they also hang them for making a final four. They hang them for winning the big 10 tournament and they hang them for winning the big 10 regular season title in John Beeline's career. He won two of each. Now he shared the 2012 big 10 regular season title. I think they were, I think there were several teams that were 12 and six kind of a, a real dog eat dog kind of year. They won it. They won the thing outright in 2014. Final fours, obviously 2013 and 2018, and then Big Ten Tournament 2017 and 2018. He always said it was Big Ten regular season because you know, I think I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said a lot of teams can get hot in the NCAA tournament. You know, you, you to make a final four, you really just have to win four games. To win the Big Ten tournament, well, they won four games both times, but usually you only have to win three games. The Big Ten regular season title, you have to win 15. I mean, nowadays it's like 15, 16 games, uh, maybe less this year because Michigan is, what are they, 13 and one? Tied for the best Big Ten record in, in program history. Um, but Steve, looking at, you can you can go broadly, but you can also speak specifically to this team. Which one? is the most or should be the most celebrated by Michigan fans. Let's 
Let's do it that way. Uh, which one should Michigan fans be the most proud of if it happens? Um, and then just for, for fans, the reason why we're talking about it already, the magic number for Michigan to clinch the Big Ten title by way of winning percentage is now one. So one win the rest of the way or one Illinois loss and Michigan will win the Big Ten title in terms of big, in terms of winning percentage. But Steve, your thoughts on, on the three banners, which one's the most significant? So Big Ten tournament is last. So to me, it's it comes down to Big Ten regular season championship or final four. Um, it's going to sound so homer to say Big Ten regular season title, knowing Michigan's magic number is one and that they're probably going to do it. But this year, I, I think maybe more than most, I think winning the regular season title means a ton because of how difficult the conference is from top to bottom. And again, Michigan, you know, with a three week layoff, uh, you know, getting maybe a little specific, not the general sense, which one's better, but just looking at this season, I think them winning the big 10 would be more significant than the final four is a bigger achievement, right? Perception wise. But I think you'd argue that not just winning the big 10, but I mean, they see how they finish. I still think that back-to-back against Michigan State is going to be very, very difficult. Um, and obviously Illinois, right? I mean, that goes without saying, but, uh-huh. you know, they have a tough, tough three-game stretch to finish out here, you know, but to, you know, dominate the conference the way they have in a year where everyone keeps talking about how this this Big Ten conference is one of the best conferences from top to bottom in recent memory is – I mean, that's super impressive. Like, again, Michigan's in most – they're not just winning these games. They're, like, beating really good teams with ease. You know, Ohio State was an awesome game, but you see what they've done to Iowa. Uh, you see what they've done to – well, Indiana, not really at the top. But, but they, at one point, they were winning their conference games by an average of, like, 12 or 13 points or something. And that was with, like, a couple games that were real close. I think Penn State – early on was a really yep. close one that brought that average down. Right. So, I mean, they're winning games by double digits uh, consistently. So yeah, the, I agree with beelines logic on the tournament is so true. It's, it's so matchup driven, right? I mean, it, it, you could theoretically find a six or seven seed uh, in the second or third round that might give you a, a, a tougher game than the two seed in the elite eight. You know, it's just the way that the way that it goes. And so Knowing that you have to play everybody in your conference, you know, I, I would almost argue that winning the Big Ten regular season is is maybe a a bigger accomplishment for sure. I think the argument is totally there. Yeah, for what it's worth, most coaches I've heard talk about this have said that, and and I don't know if it's true for like every conference. Like I think Kentucky is a program that I don't think they view SEC titles the same way they do a Final Four. And I don't think um, like Oregon, I know they're not going to win it this year, but in other years, you know, they just kind of, they kind of coast through. I mean, you know, conferences that aren't as, aren't as difficult. um, I don't think it's quite as big of a deal. I think it's a huge deal in the big 10. I mean, I know Izzo said this beeline said this, um, you know, if you go out and you're the best team over the span of three months, 
that means more or that's more impressive. That's more of a sign of a, of a great team than winning, you know, a couple games, the opening weekend, and then having the right matchups in the second weekend. So I, I, I agree. Now I do think the big 10 regular season titles are more easily forgotten over time. Like Purdue has the most big 10 titles among all the basketball teams. But everyone talks about Indiana as the blue blood. And the difference is, well, national titles is, is a part of that, but but so are final fours. Think about in the last um, you know, 20 years. You know, Michigan State has been now they've won a lot of Big Ten regular season titles, but it's really been the final fours that have been their legacy. Is I think what is Tom Izzo's made eight final fours, something like that. Um, so it's, that's, that's maybe a little bit more of the memory part. I do agree. I think big 10 tournaments last, I mean, it's still a banner to hang and it's still something, you know, if, if a team think about the 2017 team, they hung one banner and it was the big 10 tournament title, but everyone remembers that team and, and how they did, uh, in Washington over the, over the span of four days, obviously the plane crash narrative is part of that, but. Um, you know, it, it could really make an impression. Same with the 2018 team, you know, playing in Madison Square Garden and everything like that. So all three, you know, I think Isaiah Livers said, we, we want to win them all. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. I think the Big Ten regular season title is the most impressive. That's the sign. That's the best sign of a great team. But I think the final four is most important in terms of establishing yourself as, as elite for, for the, you know, how it's, how your team is looked back upon in the future. I, I agree with you. I think the, the way Michigan has come out of the layoff has been very impressive. Now they didn't have the same layoff that other schools had on one hand, they, um, they weren't able to go to their gym. On the other hand, no one got sick either. So they were kind of, they were able to hit the ground running a little bit more once they were allowed back in facilities. We've seen Baylor not doing well coming out of the layoffs. Uh, I think they barely beat, I want to say Iowa state who's not very good. And then they lost to Kansas. So it's, it's not nothing, um, you know, and, and the way Michigan has beaten up this big 10, I mean, they've beaten everybody. They went and they, they won at Ohio state. They beat Iowa. They beat, well, they haven't played Illinois or Michigan State. Those are the only two left, but they've they've beaten every single other team. And many of them were beaten in blowout fashion. So I think it's I think it's incredibly impressive. Uh, and the fact that they can they could have clinched it Saturday with three games left, I think is really significant. You know, the it's it's always gonna be a little weird because Michigan's gonna play a couple fewer games than Illinois is, but got to think they win at Northwestern probably win at Penn state. And then was it a home game against Indiana? I think they proved that they could beat Indiana yesterday. So I don't think that this title is reduced in any stretch or should be reduced in any stretch. If, if, and probably when Michigan wins it, but yeah, the way that they've beaten everybody, I mean, if they can beat Illinois 
and then they can beat Michigan State at least once. Now, they'd be favored both times, but if they can beat Michigan State at least once and beat all 14 or all 13 Big Ten opponents in one season, win the Big Ten by you know two or three games, I think you'd start discussing if this team is one of the best in, in Big Ten history. Now, they've had teams that have won Big Ten titles or national titles, excuse me, but in terms of the Big Ten regular season, that's about as good as it gets to beat literally every team to go in that capacity. They would be what 16 and or 15 and two or 16 and one. I mean, it does not get much better than that. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, final question. Michigan is projected as a one seed. Still, they are now number two in the NCAA net rankings and fans. It was really funny. I, I don't know if you were, uh, on social media at all last night, Steve, but when they, when Gonzaga and can and Baylor were playing fans seemed like really, really like, Oh, I cannot believe people are putting Michigan behind this team or behind that team. Now Baylor is now officially behind Michigan in both Ken Palm and the NCAA net rankings. Gonzaga is going to stay out in front. So there's, there's two parts to this question. One how important is Michigan being number one or viewed as number one in, in the polls and the rankings, things like that. And then two, seems like they've, they now have a one or two game cushion to being a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Like I, I can't see a scenario where Houston passes or not Houston, but um, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio state. Those are the five, six, seven teams. I don't know if I see a scenario where those teams pass Michigan unless Michigan loses like three games between now and the end of the big 10 tournament. So Steve, I guess first, how important is the number one over Gonzaga and Baylor, things like that. And then two, how important is a one seed overall in your eyes? I'm, I'm like skeptical at how much it means this year. Right. Like I, I mean, yeah, yeah. right. You don't want to like, I just, I don't know. I think it's a difficult question to answer because I just, you get the sense this is going to be a really wacky tournament just because of every, all the variables, you know, that are mixed in, let, let alone teams that have had layoffs, all that kind of you know, injury, like the, and maybe guys have had COVID or guys that haven't, but also the fact it's in, they're all in the same city. There's no travel involved. Like, it's just going to be like, everything's going to be so much different. You know, for teams that are there, it, it you have to take one trip. That's it. You know, and I know that was one of the things in tournaments past that I always felt like helped Michigan was the, you know, such a such a large alumni base that Michigan usually showed out wherever they were at. I think of the stretch they played in L.A. Yep. Right. As like those were home games. Those were virtually home games for Michigan. And that's all the way across the country. Um, you know, and again, no team will have that advantage, you know, this season, at least it doesn't seem, what are they, they're trying to get limited fans. So it's 25% capacity. Um, I'm not sure, you know, different arenas, I'm sure are going to have different protocols, right? I got to think it, it doesn't hurt Michigan. I mean, that is uh, Indianapolis is about as close as it gets. You're close to Chicago and, and Ann Arbor, but, um, 
I don't think there'll be a huge home court advantage in any direction. Right. So yeah, any, but well, any, any situation where there are fans is going to help Michigan, I would think. Right. And it, it, you suspect, especially as well as they've played, if fans are allowed, Michigan fans are going to try to get, get there. But as far as like just the, the seating and stuff, I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's good. The, the, the closeness this year of any seed between like, well, let's say take the five twelve. Anybody in those in that whole five to twelve range, I feel like it's going to be so muddled um, and so, you know, just mixed up that I, I don't like it again. It's just going to depend on matchups at the end of the day. So you know, we suspect Michigan will be a one seed, but at the same time, it's all going. It's like you're going to look at well, who's the who's the two seed at the bottom of the bracket? It may just depend on who that two seed is about how you feel about projecting Michigan to make it to, to make it all the way to the final four. Right. So it, it does matter because just statistically one seeds have the best chance. Right. I think that's always mm-hmm. borne out, but you know, I don't know if it's a must at this point, you know, as we've seen what Michigan, we it's, it's very, very clear. Michigan can absolutely go to the final four. They could win the whole thing. So, and with the fact, like I said, there's no advantage from a, well, there may be the small advantage, but no team is like it, it's everyone's under the same roof for this. So I just, you know, may come down to like just team operation, like logistics and stuff like who manages the logistics the best could play a big role. You know, it's like that's it's those types of things that might play a bigger role in this year's tournament than it has ever before. So, uh, yeah. So in short, yeah, best best cases to get keep the one. But I just don't know if that like guarantees anything for them in a year where in past years it's like a lot of times you look at the bracket as number one seed and think okay there's maybe two teams in this bracket that could knock them off but it's just I think it's gonna be a little harder to say this year yeah well and and one seeds in in past years yeah they get to like pick where they play I mean Kansas was always playing in like Wichita um you know do I mean they literally these cities would continually try to host the NCAA tournament in part because they knew they could sell it out because they could get a you know, Greensboro, North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina would always host Duke or UNC, um, you know, Louisville or, or uh, Lexington. Well, I think Lexington stopped being allowed to host Kentucky, but you know, that kind of deal. So yeah, if Michigan was a one seed and playing in Detroit, that's a huge difference between like being a two seed and playing in uh, Houston or something. So yeah, it's, it makes it's less of a big deal. I think it still is a big deal. First of all, if you're a one seed, you don't have to play Baylor or Gonzaga until the final four at the earliest. Um, so I think avoiding the other top teams is a big one. I mean, if Michigan's a two seed and they happen to get drawn with Gonzaga, then I mean, you know, that, that match have just happened sooner. You know, you still have to beat the best to, to win the whole thing. But there's a reason one seeds statistically go the farthest and a, and a big part of it is they don't have to play the other one seeds. So uh, that's something to consider. And then two, I will say, I mean, it does sound like they're going to do more of a sense of locations the same. They're going to do a little bit more of a true, like, like sticking to the overall seating when building these matchups. And that's where maybe being ahead of Baylor is, 
a big deal. Now, Michigan's in a weird spot because there might literally be three two seeds from the Big Ten in Iowa, Illinois, and, and Ohio State. You know, we'll see how those things shake out. But so they might not end up getting to play the two seed that they, you know, the the opportune two seed. It might just be Villanova or Houston, no matter what. But which would be fun because you know, both two rematches from 2018. But yeah, it's it's still it you probably still want to be the best because if you're the number two seed versus the number three seed, maybe you play a slightly worse four or five seed in the in the sweet 16. Maybe you play, maybe you don't play the eight or nine seed that nobody wants to play. Um so I think it'll be it's somewhat important. I do think the I mean, I watched Gonzaga last night. I've watched them a couple times this year. Not a Gonzaga expert. They're the number one team, you know, and, and unless they lose in their conference tournament, uh, they'll be the number one team. So it's really about Michigan finishing ahead of Baylor, finishing ahead of Houston and ahead of all those other big 10 teams, which feels like they've got a decent cushion over since they beat. Well, they've beaten all of them except Illinois head to head, but and recently too, but yeah, it's, um, I'd say it's moderately important. It's not nothing. You know, I, and I do think a one seed would be, um, I guess a step forward for the program. You know, I think at pretty much every Michigan fan, uh, raised their eyebrows when Fox was on the broadcast yesterday, I was talking about Michigan fans haven't been this excited since 1993 about basketball, which is just not true. But they haven't been a one seed since then. I mean, sometimes, and they've gotten a few matchups that worked, but I do think it is something that establishes your, um, I guess, hierarchy as a as a top tier, top five program is, and something that Michigan hasn't done. So it's significant in that regard. But yeah, it's not. They're going to have to play like they've played all year. You know, it's not. There's no. It is going to be a weird tournament. Um, going to be an interesting test for the scouting, for the preparation that Michigan does. And then also, I mean, that is, a, you know, the, the, the COVID part of it all. We don't need to spend a ton of time discussing that. Um, I think it speaks for itself, but that is, it's just, it's just going to be a weird tournament. And so Michigan's in a great spot, but I do think there is some value in finishing strong. Like I do think the main reason I ask this is, after they win the Big Ten, should Michigan just rest and not worry about the two games against Michigan State as much? I would say there's still a lot of value in being a one seed and, and being the number two overall seed. So anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Feel free to rate, share, subscribe, tell your friends about us. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Read all of our stuff over the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.